Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are here on People Have the Power, where this week, really excited to be joined by one of my favorites, Ben Harper. Such a smart guy, always a joyous conversation, and this one no different, where we talk about his superb new album, Winter is for Lovers, uh, John Coltrane, The Beatles, Marvin Gaye, and so much more. And we also get into some book stuff, like Infinite Jest. As I say, Ben Harper is one of the smartest guys in music, and this conversation will show you why. Hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Hey, Ben, how's it going? Great. How are you doing? Good to see you again. I'm doing well, man. How you been? I've been holding it, hanging in. Yourself? I've been good, you know, the same. I think everybody's kind of in the same boat at this point, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's kind of funny, you know, I mean, everybody at the beginning, right, was kind of like, well, what's going to happen? And, and you take a minute and you sort yeah. of figure it out. And yeah. then it's like, Oh, cool. Okay. Well, this is what's going to happen. This is the new normal. It's so funny. I was telling a friend, I'm interviewing Lenny Kravitz on Monday and she's like, oh, will you take me? I'm like, take you to what, dude? I'm like, no one's done an in-person interview since March. I don't know that anyone will ever do an in-person interview again, because now that you realize you can do interviews without traveling, it's like, why, you know, I mean, it's funny for me, I live down in Long Beach and I was driving back and forth to LA like 27 times a day. It felt like now, Oh my God, man. I feel like my quality of life is so much better not having to drive back and forth. So is your new normal, is this new normal going to shift the next new normal for you? Um, I hope so because there's a lot of advantages to it. I mean, obviously there's like, I miss people. I miss, you know, certain aspects of, it's funny though. I was actually posting about this the other day. I realized I don't even miss shows as much as I miss the communal experience with friends, you know, sharing it with friends that I actually want to be with. But I mean, I will say, I do feel like my quality of life is I get up in the morning, I work out every morning. You know, I actually have time to have a life, you know, make dinner, stuff like that. How about for you? I mean, do you feel like this is your new norm? By the way, how much of this record was written and done during quarantine? None. This record has been done. It's been been done for a better part of a year. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because it's funny. One of the things that's interesting about it is, look, I've spoken about this to so many artists. A lot of artists have really shifted during quarantine because they feel like they have a more creative freedom. So it's interesting that you finished an album that is totally different than anything you've ever done prior to quarantine and then decided to release it. Because I mean, whether it's, you know, Travis Barker, G-Eazy, I mean, so many different artists I've talked to who feel like during this time, they've had freedom to be able to do things that they haven't done before because yeah. it's like Tim McGraw was talking about, it's like usually it's album tour, album tour, you're on a cycle. And now you're not on that cycle. Well, I've done some of that too, definitely. I've, I've, I've found, a, I've definitely, the stillness and the, and the silence has brought about a whole new approach to what I'm hearing, what I'm writing, what I'm recording. So there is that. But this record doesn't fall into that category. It's been done long before it hit. Uh, Now, it's interesting, too, by the way. It's funny because I talk about this with artists all the time. Typically, there's a moment in the beginning of a record. It may be a song. It may be a moment where a record starts to take shape. Was there a moment for you where Winter is for Lovers started to take shape and you realized that, okay, this was the instrumental record you always wanted to make? Well, I knew I was going to make an instrumental record. It started out to be a potential sort of a showcase of different of, of different pieces with different instruments, different lap steels. I've collected lap steels my my whole life electric, acoustic. So it was going to be an exploration, not only of the instruments, but of the music I was writing. And a few years ago, I had, I, I was not quite midway through, the third of the way through Infinite Jest, the book Infinite Jest. 
David Foster Wallace. And I was so taken by the book, I had to do some exploring and research as to how a book like that could come, come to be. And in doing so, found out that he, it was a series of shorter stories that he was combining into one body of work because he was working on them simultaneously. And, and it hit him that what he was doing was making, that, that it hit him they were all interconnected and he wove them together. And that, it dawned on me at that very moment that that's what I was attempting to do with this instrumental record. Because I've been composing pieces for this record and some, would, some wouldn't some would fit the, the what I was working on at the time and I would put them out on different records. I mean, there, I've put a, an instrumental here and there on, on records throughout my career. But at a certain point, I can't say when, maybe, I don't know, 15 years, 10 years ago, I realized that I was aiming towards an instrumental lap steel record. So I started composing it as an entire record, but it wasn't until I started reading David Foster Wallace and researched how he brought that together. That's when I, it, it dawned on me that this was one larger piece of music, not a series of individual songs. All right, a very obvious question. Did you actually finish the book? Finish the book, uh, including the footnotes. Okay, because it's funny. I was an English major at NYU. I, it's one of the few books I could never finish. And it wasn't because I didn't love it. I just could never finish it. And I had never actually became a, like a joke in literary circles. No one ever actually finished that book. So you're one of the few people who has, now that I'm older, I would like to go back and reread it. Oh, it's, it's a must read. And especially for those, I'm, and it, the timing of it was incredible. That book is, a, is a, um, a, a spiritual awakening for me in that I was getting sober at the same time I was reading that, at the same time I was, I was composing this record. So it was the confluence of, 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 of influences at the same time that was a signpost, not only a signpost, I mean, it was the road ahead. And, and it, it, so to be able to actually start working and consolidating those pieces as one body of work completely shifted the dynamic of how I, I approached it. Now, it's so interesting because, I mean, this always fascinated me with books because obviously that's a book. Oh, by the way, I picked it up. I picked it up three times before that. <laughs> so don't do it. I didn't. It wasn't just kind of like, oh, I'm going to read this now. Oh, no, no. There were some uh, some some thwarted attempts for sure. That's what I was just going to ask you about because it's funny. Look, that's a book that's been around for a very long time. It's a book that's been heavily discussed. So it's always fascinating to me as how people pick up a book at that point. So it's interesting. Had you, when you picked it up in the past, had you started to read it? Or yep. was it something no, no, I made attempts. At, I, I made attempts. I was. I, I wasn't ready for it. I just wasn't. I wasn't there. And, but my God, there is no more important a book to read in and around sobriety and 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 that process and that healing. And the fact that the uh, spoiler alert. All right, but at any rate, just Don Gately. Um, it is. You are you are exponentially rewarded for your for your perseverance oh i don't doubt it it's funny i mean like i said i'll go back and reread it it's like um you know i mean one of my favorite books is don delillo underworld which is also a thousand pages yep, yeah an epic book and yeah there is something to be said for when you can you know go through or or haruki Murakami's 1q84 because haruki Murakami is my favorite oh, Murakami is this yeah he's the man yeah so it's so interesting. I mean, that is a long funny. book, isn't that? And it's so science fiction with the bridge and everything. And yeah, that's a great book. I love that book. Oh, I love everything he does. It is fascinating. It's funny because to me, like when I read those, it doesn't even feel long. It's like it just absorbs you into that world. Like I said, I think with Infinite Jest, I just wasn't, like you said, you have to be ready for it. Yeah. And I simply wasn't ready for it, you know? Yeah. 
Now, it's interesting, though, too, because one of the things about this record, I, I love the fact that it's all named after City. So, I mean, you know, was it something? And it's funny because you said that, you know, in Infinite Jest, the way that he started with short stories and it came together in a cohesion. So for you, were these individual pieces you had written over the years based on City? Or once you started to realize that it was a cohesive album, did you realize that, you know, you wanted it to be based on geography. And I'm assuming, of course, that these are all cities that have special significance to you because I read where, and it's funny because you and I have talked about the fact that, you know, Claremont and that, the guitar shop at the beginning. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. They, well, two-part question. One, absolutely. They are all, all cities of influence or where the songs themselves were written. Right. So there's that. Um, there. The first half of the record, the B-side, interesting, well, to me, I find it interesting. It may be mundane. Half the record was written as individual pieces. And at the midway point, God word of how that book came together and that influence hit. And so half the record was written in pieces. And then the other half was written with the, with, with the understanding that it was a larger composition and it's the B side for the most part that was individual pieces. The A side ended up being what was written with the bigger picture in mind. But I'd say, I'd say just over a third of the record was done as individual tracks. And then from the point of knowing it was a larger composition, I set, I, I set sail on, on it as a larger uh, piece. So there's that. Um, yeah. Interesting. I mean, for you, so so how many of the songs were written, you know, in these places and how many were based on like having a, a history there? And it's funny, as you started thinking about the history of places, again, too, Barbara, but as you started thinking about the history of the places, you know, it's interesting when you're writing these songs where there are certain moments. It's funny, like, you know, you mentioned the fact that obviously Infinite Jest was such a big piece. As you talk about the geography, I think of a film like Before Sunrise, which is one of my favorite films ever made. And it's like, because I mean, that film is, you know, the main character is Vienna. No disrespect to Julie Delpy or Ethan Hawke, who are both phenomenal, or to Richard Linkletter, who's a great, but that movie doesn't take place without Vienna. No, no. It, 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 oh, I don't mean to, I don't mean to, yeah, in Bruges. Yeah. It's same with in Bruges. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so as it was one piece, it was winners for lovers. I cast aside any and all titles that were lingering. That said, with, with, with modern platforms and music dissemination being what it is, I had to title, I had to title the movements so that, it could, it, so that it would fit modern confines of the digital platforms. And I thought no better way to do that than, than regions that influence the music or where the songs were written, like Verona, uh, Inland Empire, um, those are a couple that were written in the city. Okay. Harlem, was that written in the city or? No, no, Harlem was just direct influence. Was written in New York, but not Harlem. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I like the way too that, you know, for certain places, it's like there are some big cities, you know, it's interesting too, by the way, that Toronto actually gets a reprise. Is that because both parts were written in Toronto? No, it's because it was composed as a reprise to come back as a, as a, um, as a bridge to the, to the final movements of the record. But what I was going to say is, is you know, look, I, I like the specificness of the fact that you actually do Joshua Tree and obviously Inland Empire versus doing Los Angeles because you have a history with Inland Empire and you come from there, you know? 
That's right. That's exactly right. And I can hear those regions in it. And I, I'm just curious. And it seems as though it's even translating. I've heard people say, with certain pieces more than others, Inland Empire being one, Joshua Tree being another, London being one as well. That we're, oh, I can hear. I hear it. I can hear it. I think it's translating in a way that I could never do with words, which is fascinating to me as far as what sound can convey. Yeah, it is so interesting. I mean, because it definitely brings about a, a different set of emotions. And it's funny for you. Did it feel weird to you? Because, you know, you and I have talked so much about writing to do stuff without words. Or was there a moment where you realized, you know, I mean, I guess I'm also curious too, were there artists that were influences for you in, in you know, doing an all instrumental record? Because, you know, I think of a Trent Reznor for one as someone who's done, you know, worked between both worlds. Or, you know, last year we lost Ennio. Actually, I guess it was this year. I, who the fuck knows what year anything is anymore. But we lost Ennio Morricone, who's one of the yeah. great, you know, composers of all time. And I mean, you want to talk about taking, you know, creating worlds without mm. pictures. I mean, Cinema Paradiso is one of my favorite films and one of my favorite scores of all time. So were there artists for you who in their instrumental work were big, you know, influences in the way they're able to convey emotions and soundscapes without lyrics? Yeah, oh, hugely influenced from John Coltrane to Morricone to uh, John Fahey. Just, just to name a few you know, last night, a friend of mine called me, Donna, who, who is my publisher. I publish by Reservoir Music. And she called you to say, Ben, I, I got to tell you, I have been on lockdown as long as the rest of us. I've been on quarantine. This is, again, this is a quote. She said, I'm here. I can't go anywhere. And I just went on a journey. She, she went to all the places <laughs> in her mind with the record. She said, I listened to the record front to back again, she said. And she, it took her on. She traveled with me through the music. I, I just was like, yeah, okay. Like no one would, I would have never heard that with any other possible record I could make until now. That was fun. I, I just, I was, that enlivened me and, and edified me in a specific way hearing that from her. And she's, I really respect her musical taste. That's awesome. Well, we're going to come on to your protest song choices in a minute, but I love the fact that you mentioned Coltrane since it is his birthday. So, you know. Oh, let's give some snap. Happy birthday, JC. Well, well, it's so funny because, okay, this is um, my, I, I have a niece who was born on this day and I've always joked about the fact that, you know, I mean, this to me is the best day for musical birthdays that ever was. I mean, um, it's, it's Coltrane. Yeah. It's Springsteen. It's yeah. Artie DeFranco. Yeah, so I always joke, like, how, does, how did my niece not grow up with, like, musical talent? I mean, come on. If you're born on this day, you should absolutely be a musician sharing those birthdays. You should be a musician, know? a music writer, a music lover, one of those. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's a pretty good, you know, trilogy of arts. But since you mentioned Coltrane, is there one record in particular that sort of you thought of when doing... You know. oh, I mean, listen, at this day and age, what's a, the record is the entire playlist, right? But from right. back in the day, it would have been Blue Train. Okay. But now it's the whole thing? Now it's, I mean, Blue Train, but I mean, fr from the days of, of, of album listening, I mean, I've, I, I still have a turntable and listen to albums, but now you, you explore, I mean, oh, check this out, man. Speaking of which, hold on a second. You'll appreciate this, man. The entire prestige recordings. That is awesome. Oh, that is awesome. It's going to break my heart to crack this open, man. <laughs> I just got this the other day. A friend of mine has a, not a, a friend of mine has a friend who has an audio file 
um, it's called Common Wave there in LA. And he's only open by appointment. So you you go in there and, you know, he basically wipes the door handle after, after you kind of thing. And at any rate, I picked that up. That's awesome. But oh. you haven't opened, how long, so... Yeah, it's funny. I just got the advance and I haven't had time because I want to sit down and immerse myself in it. But you yeah. know, there's that Joni Mitchell coming out with all this. Yeah. She delved into the archives for the first yeah. time. And it's like, if I'm going to sit down and listen to six hours of unreleased Joni, I'm not going to listen to it piecemeal. I'm not going to sit down and be like, oh, cool. I'm going to pick a random track to listen to. I'm, I'm going to do one at a, I'm going to do one album at a time. I'm not going to just like, and I'm not going to casually do it, but I'm going to do, I'm going to commit to one. I think that's fair. Six hours is a lot on the years. It is, but I want to be able to like, I don't want to just say, okay, cool. I'm going to randomly pick this track that I have no idea why I'm picking that oh, track. You know? no, no, good point. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's come on to your, and it's funny because I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this and doing, you know, I've done at this point now, I've done about 30 something of these interviews. I mean, and just a freaking great wide range from, you know, Shepard Ferry and Carlos Santana to Victoria Monet, yep. you know, and run the jewels. And it's funny because what has really emerged has been, there's like, you know, sort of the definitive protest songs for this generation. And what's going on, not surprisingly, is of course right at the top of the list. The other ones I found that have been the definitive ones, Ohio, yeah, is is definitely up there. Um, Fight the power. Yeah, man, I I slipped. That should have made that should have been no, my. No, I mean one. it's all right because again, that's what's been fascinating is that you know it's such a wide-ranging list. I mean, it's what's amazed me is how few people have picked the same songs twice. Oh, that's heavy. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, so, but it's just interesting because there are certain ones that have, you know, sort of emerged and, and those have been definitive. So for you, what was it about what's going on? And, and it's funny because I, one of the things I was trying to do is tie it into your work. So when you go back and listen to it, as you think about the song, talk about, you know, your first impressions, like when you first heard it, how old you were, and then as you go back and listen to your own work through the years, how you felt that manifest. Well, what's going on for me? It's it's kind of like it 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 it's a flag in the in, in the you know it's a proclamation. It's a flag in the ground. It's a, you know it's it's saying what's going on. It, it's a question and a statement, and I love that about it. And I you know and he just it and sonically it it just conveys every single message in it and it's it's one of the first song it's one of the first sort of environmental protest songs as well that I can that, that that comes to my mind radiation underground and in the sea fish full of mercury you know I mean on and on he was he 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 broke ground on that who had put that into music before and especially when you see from where he came from Motown crooning to what's going on huge leap. Marley made the lead too from a crooner, you know. I mean, Marley, they they were doo-wop, right? And and then just got hit with the revolutionary spirit. Well, it's funny because, you know, I've in doing this, I've talked to several people about the story of what's going on and, you know, how he had to fight Barry Gordy to do it. And one of the things that's fascinating, I also love the fact that you picked Living in the City because I love Stevie. And but no one's picked that song yet. But it's interesting, oh, interesting. because it's, and we'll come on to that one second, but I, cause I point out to people, you know, if you go back and look at the lineage, Stevie didn't start doing his protest music or social until after what's going on. Yeah. No, what's going on. I think broke ground in that in, in, and opened open, kicked that door open wide genre wise. And, and Dylan, in all fairness, Bob Dylan had kicked it open from the get go, especially as a, as a descendant of Woody Guthrie and Woody Guthrie being a descendant of Joe Hill. And I mean, it's, it's an American, it's, it's a tradition. It, it's a tradition. 
Well, it's funny because obviously, you know, Marvin broke it open with the Motown sound, but I mean, Sly and the Family Stone were doing it a year or two ahead of that as well. I mean, uh -huh. I'm obsessed with Sly, one of my favorite bands of all time. So, I mean, there was a great, but I mean, in terms of doing it, like you mentioned, for an artist who had had the commercial success of Marvin to do it, and yeah. for an artist to go from It Takes Two and Ain't No Mountain High Enough yeah. and Heard It Through the Grapevine to yeah. what's going on, that transformation had and happened before because Dylan, like you said, he started out the door. You know, yeah. the Beatles yeah. were similar, but that was after the influence of Dylan. Because the mm -hmm. Beatles, obviously, and you picked Revolution as well, but I mean, here you're talking about a band that went from I Want to Hold Your Hand and She Loves You yeah. to, you know, Revolution. So it's interesting. For all of these songs, though, well, what was it, you know, about, you know, since I mentioned Living for the City, first, what was it about that song in particular? What is it? And what's interesting about these songs, too, is, you know, interesting and sad in a, in a way. Well, okay. It, musically, there's no question that they all stand up and they're incredible songs. When I say sad... It's the fact that what's come up so much in these conversations is that they're all still so damn relevant 50 years later. Yeah. It's not as though human beings can ever live in a utopia. Okay, let's not let's not kid ourselves. I mean, I don't think the goal is 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 necessarily heaven on earth, but we can damn sure do better than this. And I think that's <laughs> kind of the point of the songs. It's like we deserve better. We deserve a more collective consciousness that enlivens and enlightens us further as a species. And, and that's why I love the one that I kind of picked them with a quite like revolution Beatles is like in, out, in, out. Are you, you know, what, am I in, am I out? Which revolution now and, and which revolution is it? Are you talking about, you know, there's a certain amount of presenting the problem that is a part of solving the problem. And that's the beauty of some of my, I think that's, that's where, where the strength I think in it lies. If, cause if you don't ask smart questions, you're not going to get smart answers. Well, it's so interesting. I mean, for you then talk about, because again, these songs, and it's like, even a song, like it's funny that you chose living for the city, which is such an environmental song in the sense of geography. You know, it yeah. very much is like, it is very much based on geography. And we're talking about a record where every song is named after a city you know so talk about how these songs have played influence into you because again going back to like you know what we were talking about with like before sunrise you know in living for the city in what's going on you feel those urban environments they they feel like absolute characters in the songs you can taste it you know how cities have a smell you can just it, they, those songs bring that up yeah so it's interesting talk about for in, you in a way get up stand up does not get up stand up is a proclamation. It is like proclamation number one in music, right? So that's yeah. not necessarily that environment. It's not, it, it doesn't really summon, uh, summon or summons. I, I never get that right. At any rate, I, I, that one, it doesn't necessarily summon a, a, a city for, for the reason that is, it's as applicable as it is to, it's as, as applicable in South Africa as it is to, uh, you know, Minnesota. You know, it's as applicable to Mandela as it is to, to George Floyd. No, oh, absolutely. Same, I think, for what it's worth. I mean, I feel like that's, you know, that's another song that's, that is very yeah. much tied into, you know, the protests that have happened now and everything that, you know, I mean, you know, so what is it about that song? And what was it, you know, do you remember the first time you heard For What It's Worth? Yeah, for what it's worth, I grew up, you know, my family is, is of the For What It's Worth era. So, you know, my, and my parents had, had, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Neil Young, Stephen Stills, 
the, all their solo work and collective work. So it, it, I, it was just around me a lot. And yeah, I, I just remember, I, I remember, I, I don't remember the immediate effects it had on my parents, but I do remember it playing a role in our home as far as what was played and talked about when we would discuss music and politics. You know, it's so interesting though, too, because some of these songs look, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is that this has come up a lot is when you talk about the sonics of what's going on, or when you talk about the sonics of a living in the city, those are songs that just from a sonic standpoint are palatable to a five-year-old. They're palatable to a six-year-old. You know, if you have an ear for music, you appreciate them. And so one of the things that's been interesting is talking with people about, you know, when you sort of first understood the meaning and significance, because both those songs you can hear as a child and think, oh shit, that sounds cool but you, you wouldn't understand the significance or the meanings or the message. So or for you, you- Or would you not? Or does sound convey a conscious, subconscious, or a subconscious or unconscious wavelength that is actually informing you in the way that the words are, but just through a resonance? You know what I mean? Like imagine yeah. if, you, like if that's the, you know, you play a minor chord on a piano for a child or a major chord and it can affect their mood five minutes later. I mean, it's, it is potent, not to overanalyze it, but it, it, the potency of music is, is, is significant. Matter of fact, I, I am friends with, one of my dearest friends is a fellow um, at, at uh, it's either Rand or MIT. He's involved in both. But he is, he, is a, he is one of the geniuses of our, of our time. And he, is, he works in and throughout basically any think tank of his choosing. And they are now studying that we may be physically part music. Like our bodies may be physiologically, genetically music. Interesting. Isn't that wild? And, and a lot of the shit they talk about in these think tanks is, is top secret. So he couldn't really elaborate because it is a, it's a steady with gravitas and significance at this, at this particular think tank, but he's going to, he said he, he's going to keep me appraised of where it's going. That's fascinating. So that's interesting. If you were to find that music was part of your DNA, that you were part music, it, it's funny. Are there two or three artists that you could feel like shape your musical DNA? Oh man, I couldn't name it. It's so unfair. I mean, but, okay, <laughs> right. I'm to the metal and we're, that's, that's, that's the point here. But yeah, I would go as far as to say, Marley, Coltrane, Dylan, but you got to say Ry Cooter, David Lindley, uh, you know, Cat Stevens. I mean, Lord have mercy. You know, Joni Mitchell. Yeah, Lauren Hill. Well, now, okay, it's interesting. And we'll make these last couple of questions, but going back to what I was saying about, it's funny because your point about, so, okay, going back to your point about that, maybe you do understand what the songs are about. You might understand that there's a, a message or, or a certain like, you know, urgency to these songs, mm -hmm. but I don't know that you would understand, you know, what the exact message is only. Yeah, that it's no, different. Fair enough. The, the literal yeah, I, I think yeah. maybe yeah. as a child, you would understand that, you know, what's going on is different than she loves you. But yeah. my question for you is at what point then did you start to understand the significance of the messages or understand what they were actually talking about versus simply like, okay, cool. This is a cool song or like living in the city just sounds so great. But at what point did you understand? Like, hey, you know, man, you I could read, I knew that get up, stand up was changing the world as, as a child. Cause I saw what it meant to the people around me and how it empowered them and their perspective and emboldened their, their outlook and their stance and their march through life. There has never been a minute in my in my in my in my cognitive reality where I didn't feel that music had a pivotal role 
in culture and and perception. Interesting. And, and, and that's just from where I sit. I'm not saying right. I'm, I'm not, everyone's so addicted to being right. I'm not, I'm not interested in being right or wrong. I'm interested in perspective. Well, it's also because like you said, you grew up around it. And it's funny because then that ties back in with the album and, and you know, going back to Inland Empire for, now, by the way, where was Inland Empire composed in this mix of songs? Inland Empire was composed in the Inland Empire. Okay. It, no, but I mean, in terms of like, was it the first song? Was it one of the last songs? Was it, I mean, was it, it a... It was, it was of the last three. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's funny then that, that you chose to go back to the beginning at the ending. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, the track, I haven't thought of that. So was it just something that you felt like because this was an album you always wanted to make that, that you needed to sort of complete? Even like you said, you haven't thought about it. So was it something that even subconsciously you just felt like you needed to complete that journey? I think that was a part of it. And, and also that piece in particular was written at my family music shop and just to me almost grounds the entire record. It, it's almost the centerpiece. I'm finding in response in the way that it's sort of working its way into the world that it, that might be the centerpiece of the record. And that would be very cool because again, that's where I'm from and that's where it was written. Um, so, I mean, to your point, I think it is the, I mean, I think that record is if, if there is one song that is the po is the grounding sort of rod that, that grounds the electricity of the record, that would be the track. Interesting. So for you, when you wrote it, did you feel that it was the record that sort of grounded it? Did you know that it was the song that sort of well, again, kind I started, of tied everything together? At that point, I was working on it as a whole. But once that piece, once it, towards the end, when that piece happened, I knew I had, I knew I had the makings of an entire body of work. That song signaled that you're, you're bringing this thing in for a landing and you're doing it in a way that, that, uh, that is, that does that pays homage to not only your roots, but my family's roots and their contribution through that music store. So, I mean, it's funny for you, how important then was it to be able to go back and sort of, you know, recognize, and especially because again, that ties in nicely, like you say, for what it's worth, for example, is a song that was just your musical heritage. That was part of your, you know, DNA. So, yeah. you know, how important was it to you to be able to recognize it and, you know, pay sort of homage to your parents and what they've done for you? Because, you know, in terms of the music. So much so that I recorded the videos for this record in my family's music shop. And the poor videographers, man, they, they had to zoom in and stand back and we kept the doors open and traffic noise and, you know, certain takes <laughs> wouldn't work because a car alarm would go off. I mean, it was madness getting this film, this document, this record documented on film. But emotionally to be sitting in that music store playing this record you know you talk about full circle full circle is one thing but i mean sort of tapping back into the source and origin of all that is my music and life and heritage it, it was crazy it was just it was as heavy a full uh, you know a coming of age moment as i've had uh recording these songs in that shop the videos you know, are, the videos are on youtube I, I don't know if you've seen them but they're out there anyway that's such an interesting thing though and we'll we'll you know make these last two questions but i mean it's funny because i think as you get older you know, you have more of an appreciation of where you come from. You have more of an appreciation of your ancestry, your heritage, everything that influences you. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny as a kid, right? You like, look, you grow up, you try and distance yourself from where you come from. You, you're creating your own identity. And mm -hmm. it's only as you get older 
that you sort of go back and realize the significance. So in terms of, you know, paying homage to your parents' shop and, and, you know, that full circle moment, is it something that you feel like you could have fully appreciated earlier or did you need to be at this point in your life to be able to have that full circle moment of going back and, you know, making this record and doing it in your parents' shop? Had to be, had to be, I could not have made this record a, a minute sooner. So why now? Why, why, how did you, or why, why do you think you're ready to make it now? Because I'm now having a relationship with me who is 50 and onward, not 50 and beforehand. My life is now at full realization and attention of me and the future, not me and the past. Man, I kind of hate to ask another question after that, because that's such a great wrap up quote. Hmm. Is there anything that you want? I mean, I, I feel like that just kind of sums up, you know, and it's funny because I mean, you know, and it goes back into what you were talking about reading Infinite Jest and the sobriety and just, you know, I mean, it's one of these things I've talked about with so many artists too. I mean, you know, when you look at everything it took you to get to this point, do you feel like you have a much greater appreciation then for where you are right now and being able to appreciate looking forward? And you know, I, I mean, as a side note to that, it's such a funny thing because there was such a mentality growing up in music that, you know, music was for young people. And, you know, the reality is, is that now as we've gotten older, we now understand that, you know, that's not the case at all. I mean, I've talked about with everyone from Carlos and Neil Young, you know, to, I mean, B.B. King is like, as you get older, you actually get better. You can, yeah, <laughs> you can. Well, I mean, okay. Not everybody, not everybody, clearly, as we see from, you know, current political situations, learns as they get older. Some people just get dumber or just refuse to learn. But when you look at like a Dylan Time Out of Mind, you look at a Lou Reed New York, you look at some of the great music that came afterwards. So Leonard, it's, Leonard it's, Cohen, David Yeah, Bolt. I've never thought about this before, but as you, as you look at thinking 50 and forward, is there one album that's a, I mean, Springsteen, you know, all the great stuff he's made. Post, I mean, today's his 71st birthday. And I mean, you know, Jackson Brown, who I know you're friends with and you and I have talked about immensely over the years. Is there, is, yeah. Are there one or two records that you look at as sort of the benchmark for being older that as you look at being 50 and beyond that you're like excited to, you know, make your own records on these subjects? Because I mean, look, the subject matter changes. You start looking at a song like Dylan, Not Dark Yet, which is one of Dylan's best songs, in my opinion. You can't make a song like Not Dark Yet when you're fucking 24. You simply no. can't. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. so what for you are the great records on mortality and growing older that you're excited to, you know, look to as you, you know, go, since you're going 50 and forward as opposed Leonard, to 50 Leonard and Cohen, you want, Leonard Cohen, you want a darker Bruce Springsteen, Devil and Dust, Bob Dylan, Time Out of Mind. All great ones. Cool. What do you want to add we didn't talk about? Oh man, are you kidding? There's nothing we didn't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, always a pleasure to catch up. Congratulations on the record. Great to see you again. And thank you, man. Thank you. It's always great. Yeah. I mean, okay, one, I, I will make this last question to drop it quickly because I mean, this is also a record because it's solo instrumental and it's just you. Yeah. does feel like it lends itself well to like the current uh, environment. So will you do live streams with this? Are there plans to do like a one-off live show with this? You know, there, I ha there isn't at the moment, but per your suggestion, it's something, going to have to do something and do it right. Yes. Well, if you don't do it out of your parents' house, out of your parents' shop, by the way, for me, you know, this record, this record feels very McCabe's to me. Okay. All right. Well, the, my, the McCabe's were friends with the, my, my family's music shop is, was the impetus for McCabe's to open. 
See, I love how we brought it full circle. That's All right, dude, circle. always a pleasure. Congratulations Thank on the record. Mind. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. man. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Alton, and you have been listening to People Have the Power with special guest Ben Harper. Thanks so much. Thank mm-hmm. you.